0: Hey there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies! Welcome back to another episode of T for C. If you're interested, In breaking into the nonprofit world, really into international humanitarian work, specifically into microfinance, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest was a microfinance pioneer who established the Grameen Foundation in 1997 with the support of Nobel laureate Dr. Muhammad Yunus. But before I introduce you to Alex Counts, I want to make sure you've signed up to get a free copy of the Just Brew It ebook with amazing career advice from some of the rock star professionals who've been guests on T for C, including Guy Raz, NPR journalist and host of the top-rated How I Built This podcast, and Dr. Janet Yellen, the former chairwoman of the Federal Reserve Bank, and it is so easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org, and you'll see the sign up box right there on the homepage. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Alex Counts, a guiding voice in the nonprofit and microfinance community and the author of the new book, When in Doubt, Ask for More, and 213 other life and career lessons for the mission-driven leader. Almost 25 years ago, in 1997, Alex established the Grameen Foundation with the support of Nobel laureate Dr. Muhammad Yunus. And he became its president and CEO, and he was only 29 years old. The foundation's mission, in a nutshell, was and is to enable the poor, especially women, to lift themselves out of poverty. It was how they went about doing that that captured headlines and accolades the world over. Alex established the foundation after having worked in microfinance and in poverty reduction for 10 years, mostly spent living in rural Bangladesh. Since its modest beginning sparked by a $6,000 seed grant provided by Professor Yunus, who was a founding board member and continues to be a director emeritus, the Grameen Foundation has grown to become a leading international humanitarian organization which Alex ran for almost 20 years before stepping down in 2015, and he remains a friend and volunteer of the organization today. At the present time, in addition to writing books and articles, Alex works as a private consultant to nonprofit organizations and social enterprises, and he's also an adjunct professor at the School of Public Policy at the University of Maryland, College Park. Alex, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go?
1: I sure am. It's great to be here.
0: And I understand that you are not a coffee drinker, or maybe you are, but you mentioned that you were heating up your cup of tea. So what kind of tea do you drink? Well, I I love
1: English breakfast tea with a big slice of lemon to take out the bitterness. And boy, I couldn't imagine a morning without it.
0: Excellent. Wonderful. Well, we are going to dive right into our 10 espresso shots, which we're going to frame around the fields of international humanitarian work, microfinance, sort of the social good sector. How does that sound? Great. So, Alex, what entry-level jobs are available to young people who want to break into this field? Well, I put them in
1: kind of two categories. And for general nonprofits, many of them are willing to train without any prior experience or expertise fundraisers, because I think people have a negative view of fundraising, which I've long since gotten rid of. But it's seen as a work that is kind of a necessary evil, and also there aren't enough fundraisers out there for the number of nonprofits that keep proliferating. So fundraising is something that a lot of groups are recruiting for entry level and also personal assistance for senior level people who want someone who's kind of smart go-getter to kind of staff them. Those positions are also out there. Those are the most common ways I've seen to break in, in, particularly international work. The route I took a long time ago and the people still take today is to get some sort of fellowship to go overseas. The Fulbright program is a great program. I'm a big advocate. Rotary fellowships. There are others that are out there that allow you to do some sort of service or research abroad. And there are also versions of those domestically that allow you to do some sort of kind of a, effectively a paid internship or project or research that is a great way to get in the door.
0: Terrific. We will include links to both the Fulbright and the Rotary. And I want to pick up on what you said because I think that. In particular, the fundraising route, the executive assistant or personal assistant route is very strategic because as you have said in your various writings, being able to fundraise and also learning from a chief executive are skills that you will need when you, if you decide you want to become a leader of a nonprofit one day as you've been, and you have to know how to fundraise. To be able to be a strong leader.
1: I absolutely agree. And one of the things I believe about nonprofit CEOs, unless they're in some sort of endowed position or some sort of unique situation, is that the CEO has to be the fundraiser in chief. And if he or she doesn't get that, or he or she wants to go out, write books, give speeches, think big thoughts, develop programs, and delegate fundraising, that's an organization that's going to stagnate. So to start your career, getting comfortable fundraising really sets you up to uh, be a, a strong leader down the road.
0: Fantastic. So Alex, what is a useful hard and soft skill that you've looked for over the years in the young people that you've hired?
1: In terms of hard skills at least as I define them writing skills someone who can express themselves well in writing and collaborate with people on writing projects which happens in most cases like grant proposals someone who's who's has some knowledge of statistics and in particular, not necessarily mathematics, but statistics is important. I really look for people that speak at least two languages, have picked up at least one foreign language, especially if they had to put some effort into it. You know, if they're raised in a bilingual household, it was kind of easy for them. It's a great skill. Getting outside your comfort zone to learn a second, third language when you're teens shows me something. It's a skill, but it's also an attribute of being willing to learn something hard, and and of course, most young people have this already, but some more than others, That kind of comfort with technology, with uh, website design, video editing, those are all important. And in terms of soft skills, comfort with ambiguity, willingness to take criticism and look at failure, not as a personal inadequacy, but as a gap in your knowledge, and also just people that are willing to kind of put themselves outside of their comfort zone repeatedly in their life. People that are they are less dogmatic and certain of what they know, and they're more curious about what they don't know, those are things I also look for.
0: Terrific. Why statistics?
1: I mean, a lot of times you're trying to understand the past and predict the future, and some of that cannot be broken down to numbers, but a lot of times it can be. And of course, there's some uncertainty involved when you especially try to predict the future or you measure things through samples. And just a basic knowledge of statistics. I've probably forgotten three quarters of what I learned in college in statistics, but the core of it remains. And it helps me read the paper. It also helps me read scholarly articles and understand more than I would have, even if I'm not a subject matter expert. Statistics just seems to be a way to kind of understand when people measure things at a sample level, what it means and what it doesn't mean. And that's important. Even just something simple is you ask a quarter of your staff what they think of you as a leader. And kind of statistics helps you think, well, what does that mean about what the entire staff think? Those basic concepts so you don't kind of make too much or too little of such information.
0: Terrific. Great. Thank you so much. So what about someone's major, Alex? Is it a deciding factor to get into this line of work? In other words, if they haven't studied whatever it is, fill in the blank, is it a deal breaker?
1: No, I don't, I don't really look, I mean, my own experience was once I got clear about what I wanted to do, which was go study with Muhammad Yunus, there were certain courses I wanted to take, but the major, I just kind of looked for the major in the social sciences that I was kind of closest to meeting the requirements for, and that was economics. And then that was a decent choice for what I'm doing. But, you know, more in the kind of work in microfinance, I'm looking to see someone who as language skills which often are best for folks that have done a kind of a semester or a year abroad statistics as I mentioned economics sociology those are all important courses but they can be incorporated into any major now unlike when I was in school there are courses in nonprofit leadership and when delivered well those really help sensitize people to things that they're going to encounter in a not-for-profit type of environment but less focus on the major and more on certain courses or just what's the theme of what the student's trying to learn. And that's more of highlights of courses rather than major per se.
0: Got it. What about a graduate school degree and less so for somebody who's looking to get their foot in the door in an entry level position, more so for somebody who wants to one day be in the C-suite, be an executive in the international humanitarian microfinance world? And if so, is there a better kind of master's to have?
1: So there there are kind of two tracks. And I don't have an advanced degree, a master's degree, and it's rarely held me back. If you're going to work for private organizations, social enterprises, nonprofits, tech startups that maybe have some social orientation, not having a graduate degree is in and of itself, is going to be a minor issue, a non-issue. If you want to go more into kind of government, into things where credentials matter or intergovernmental organizations like the UN, oftentimes that can really kind of put a glass ceiling over you. So it depends which kind of track you want to take. And if you were to go for a graduate degree, I think lots of ones, whether it's in, in public policy and in kind of an MBA with a social orientation, can work very well. I advise people if they're going to get a graduate degree, the university is a consideration. But I would say the first thing is go into a program where there's somebody there teaching who shows promise to become a kind of a mentor for you, someone who can open doors for you throughout your career. I would go to a university that was my second choice and a degree that was my second choice if I had a great person there that could take me under their wing. And I say that about searching for your first job and also searching for a place to get a graduate degree if that's someone's choice.
0: That is such fantastic advice. The person that you work for is such an important ingredient. Especially building those foundational skills because if, as Alex recommends, you start as an executive assistant, as a personal assistant, you will be learning so much at the foot of that teacher, if you will, while you're getting paid. It's a fantastic way for you to really learn in an experiential way what you might otherwise be learning from a book. So speaking of experiences, Alex, what kind of life experiences, those things outside the classroom are most useful for someone to have starting out in this field? You've already touched on the importance of studying languages.
1: I think life skills, things that prepared me or that I wished I'd had that would have prepared me. One is if you're going into the kind of humanitarian not-for-profit field, particularly in terms of kind of dealing with human service and poverty. This wouldn't apply so much, say, into an arts nonprofit. But I I look for people who in general are willing to push themselves out of their comfort zones and in particular willing to put themselves in situations where they're around people who are not just reading about not just pontificating about, but really around people who are suffering from some of the injustices in society. I wouldn't recommend all my choices in my teens and 20s to people, but I remember I was waiting to get my visa to go to Bangladesh in uh, 1988. And I just, as a volunteer thing, I began volunteering for this kind of a coalition for the homeless in uh, New York City. And one of the things I had to do is I had to go up to Harlem and inspect homeless shelters to make sure they were compliant with city codes. And I got into neighborhoods and with with people who were very unfamiliar to me. And I wasn't able to contribute that much. I wasn't that skilled as a homeless activist, but it just got me outside my comfort zone. And so I I look for people who just almost reflexively do that. I, I look for people who replace kind of dogma and certainty with curiosity and humility that are really lifelong learners. I wish I was more curious and less certain in some of my beliefs when I was 20 than I was, but I still had had some element of that and and just in general willingness to take risks and again going abroad, for example, you have your friends and whatever you have at you know your your university, but I'm willing to uproot myself to learn a language, learn a culture, and someone is willing to do that, it just says to me that they're getting outside their comfort zone is is kind of part of their DNA. And it isn't for everyone, but if you're trying to address some of these chronic problems in the human condition and things like poverty and and disease and inequality among the sexes and races and countries, you have to be willing to put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable and that you can see the world through the eyes of people that are impacted by these problems that you conceptually care about.
0: That's such an important point because especially for those who've never lived in a really challenging environment with a lot of poverty around them. I think what Alex is suggesting here is that you may want to put yourself in some of these situations to see how you're going to handle it, because this may not be the field for you. And this is a great way for you to kind of test it out. Before you jump in with both feet so you can volunteer in underserved communities and try it out, see how it feels to you. You can also learn a lot from the others who are working in these communities and learn from the people in the communities themselves. So I think that's terrific advice. Alex, you've been in this world for a long time, for over 30 years. What is the best part for you of being in this profession? Well,
1: some, some of us work in this field and we take it for granted and until maybe we spend some time having honest, authentic conversations with people outside of it is, is just the ability to work every day towards a vision of a better society and improved society, where it's a problem that it might or might not affect you personally, but you empathize with people that are impacted and you say, I get to work every day to move society closer to not having that problem. And so... Whether it's uh, mass incarceration, people are imprisoned for much longer, never mind people imprisoned for crimes they didn't commit, but imprisoned for much longer than makes sense in society. And really, everyone loses to be able to say, I'm, I'm moving us to a society and to work with the people who are also passionate about that. And so, your teamwork is not about beating another company and you're getting their quarterly earnings up, which is meaningful, but to say, No, I'm, I'm working with a team of people. Of a vision of a better society and of a team of people who are working with me, improving my game. I'm improving theirs. Boy, that's to come from a place of idealism rather than materialism and being outwardly focused rather than inwardly focused in what I do during my day job. I mean, that's, that's a real honor. And sometimes we forget about that. But I, I try to always remind myself that that's a, you know, a real privilege.
0: A hundred percent. As somebody who only worked in the nonprofit world for seven years or thereabouts, I can tell you it is a wonderful way to wake up every morning. It gets you out of bed. You have this amazing greater good that you are working for, and it just makes you feel good about yourself. So every profession, every job has aspects that are not so much fun, Alex. And you were the CEO of the Grameen Foundation for almost 20 years. What was the part of that job that sucked the most?
1: Well, there were a a number. I mean, mainly when you're a leader, you have to make the decisions that where there's really no win, where you have two departments that are feuding and you have to side with one or the other or broker some compromise and no one's going to be happy that's not easy especially if you you know if you like to be liked and that's hard and also you spend political capital when you make those decisions often uh, layoffs when the economic downturn that's super hard and also when you fire people that maybe it's not because of economics but because someone is just failing despite effort and i've learned to not push that off as many bosses do but it doesn't make it any easier And when the media is kind of crucifying you, often without reason, and you have to kind of deal with that and deal with how people, it's such a distraction from mission, that's hard also.
0: Absolutely. So, Alex, what is the best career advice you've ever gotten?
1: I'd say the best. One of my mentors is Susan Davis, who worked at the Ford Foundation when I was in Bangladesh as a Fulbrighter. And, you know, when I thought about Bangladesh, I thought about when I was going there, I was going to learn skills, learn knowledge of microfinance, learn a new language, learn a new culture. Those were the big takeaways that was going to help me in my career. What she helped me understand was those are true. But the bigger thing is, is that you're going to form relationships with people that will over time develop a real curiosity about your potential, your career will get kind of drawn into opening doors for you and you for them. And a kind of a symbiosis will develop. And so you kind of meeting people, growing your network of people, they're looking out for you and you're looking out for them, people in your field. That's even the bigger piece rather than just the the skills and knowledge that you get. And so every time I would be in a new situation, you know, it's what can I learn, but also who can I meet and who can I develop that kind of symbiotic, relationship where, you know, I can help them, they can help me in, in our in what whatever we're trying to do to improve society. The other thing I taught myself is just the power of always doing something that you're a novice at. It's very humbling. It's just you get to find a playful side of yourself and, and that's one of the things I often tell people. Relationships trump kind of content knowledge as you're building your career was very profound.
0: I think that's so powerful. It's the opposite of what I think Many people do talk about when you're building your career at any stage, not to burn bridges. The opposite is true as well. You are the ambassador, the primary ambassador of your own career. And as you go through it, you are attracting people who will forever be one of your champions if you're doing a good job. And that is super powerful. Two final espresso shots, Alex. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Amazon, Hulu shows, or books for that matter, do you think accurately depict your profession?
1: Well, I'm right now reading a book. Came out in 2019. So it's it's not as dated as some of the other things that I like. And it's called Giving Done Right by a guy named Phil Buchanan and it's about it's mainly advice to people who are philanthropists who are giving money away it doesn't have to be big money but it also it talks about their partners or the nonprofit organizations and social entrepreneurs he's just very balanced he's willing to call out things that he thinks are wrong it's not politically correct so i really like giving done right i think that some of the dark side of the kind of the philanthropy world are in this group winners take all by anand gary daradas and my book, Changing the World Without Losing Your Mind, is at least I share some of the stories, the, kind of the real stories behind the scenes of growing a small organization into a pretty big one. And uh, hopefully, I wrote that in part to kind of add to that literature.
0: Fantastic. We'll include links to all of those books in our show notes. Final espresso shop, what would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession, Alex?
1: Yeah, I, I think that first of all, I'd say how diverse it is. When we think of a nonprofit or a humanitarian organization of digging wells or giving people injections or you know giving loans, micro loans, and people, you think of people in a certain orientation, they look a certain way, they think a certain way, but in fact, there are nonprofits that are and very good ones that are mainly staffed by people from the business world. And they have certain assets and liabilities compared to more traditional nonprofit folks. You have organizations that are trying to promote, let's say in the arts, and we forget many hospitals are nonprofits and they operate like businesses, but they just happen to be as nonprofits. They're very tiny nonprofits. They have a certain character. They're huge mega nonprofits. And then just the type of people that work for them, the work cultures can be so different. And so, you know, I'm continually meeting nonprofits that just break the the mold, not to mention that there are these hybrid organizations that are partly nonprofit, partly for-profit that further expand the diversity. And the the other thing I'd just say is that there's a lot of criticism of the low pay for nonprofits and people with equal skills, especially in the first half of their careers, you you do take a cut compared to if you just put yourself out to the highest bidder of uh, a company. And you might have less in terms of professional development, but you, know, you work your way up and there, there's some pretty decent paying jobs out there in the nonprofit world where you can, especially if you're, if you're relatively frugal and you put money away for your retirement, you can have a decent retirement stashed away just from working solely in the nonprofit world if you choose your jobs and you continue to kind of move up the ladder over time.
0: Yeah. You're not taking a vow of poverty when you go into the nonprofit world and it is entirely possible to live a very nice life on the salaries that you're paid and feel really good about the work that you're doing. Alex's latest book, he mentioned how to change the world without losing your mind, but his latest book, When in Doubt, Ask for More and 213 Other Life and Career Lessons for the Mission-Driven Leader is out. We will have a link in show notes. If you want to learn more, about how Alex built his own amazing career. Please check out the show notes for this episode to see if Alex's main Time for Coffee interview has already dropped. Alex, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the T4C community. This was just wonderful.
1: I loved it. Thank you so much.